an amazing career awaits regardless of where you're starting and what you're doing because I think any career is a journey to ourselves and finding our best selves um, finding and exploring and confirming the gifts and abilities and strengths that we have and uncovering them as we continue on our journeys. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Utilities podcast. I'm your host, Madhavi Shankarling, and with me on the show today is Ravana Budraj. We'll hear about how Ravana's childhood curiosity was sparked by the box next door, and how she went on to become an electrical engineer who's currently working as a senior business analyst at Western Power. In this honest conversation, you'll hear Ravana's practical advice for how to overcome the biggest obstacle to your success how she stretched herself and got out of her comfort zone to achieve her goals, and how a little stubbornness can be a good thing for a career in utilities. A note about the sound quality. Our first recording together wasn't the best quality, so Ravana graciously agreed to a second interview. This episode stitches the two recordings together. It's a really great episode, so please do bear with the sound quality and stick around to the end for all Ravana's gold. Okay, let's get into it. Welcome, Ravana. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm so happy to have you on. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be speaking to you today. Do you want to just tell me a little bit about where you work and what you do at Western Power? Currently, I work um, as a senior business analyst at Western Power. Western Power uh, provides electricity to over 2.3 million people in the southwest of uh, Western Australia. And Western Power is, I think, the third largest electricity utility in Australia. By trade, I'm an electrical engineer, but currently in my role in the business development team, which was started just over three years ago, uh, I leverage most of my relationships and my know-how to start or to manage trials that are ongoing. So the biggest one for me over the last year has been the community batteries, which we've installed last year off as of this year. And that's been quite an achievement. And I'm very proud of that work. My background, I'm South African by birth, Indian by descent, and I'm Australian by leap of faith. <laughs> Would you like to share a little bit more about the community battery solutions and, and how that came to be and your involvement in that? So we found that there was, inside the network, there was um, excess solar. So the excess solar is generated during daylight hours, and that meant that there was reverse power going through our transformers, potentially overloading them and bringing them up for replacement. So instead of replacing these transformers and upgrading them or operating them, we actually installed a battery in those networks, which means they could soak up the excess solar during those during those daylight hours, and then at night they could be put back into the network for residents as a solar as a solar storage or solar product. So instead of customers putting in their own batteries in their own uh, homes, it would be a community battery for the whole network. The benefit of that is that these community batteries can manage voltage and as well as prolong the life of that transformer 
So that's where the network benefits come in, as well as providing something to the residents that they don't have to outlay a cost to buy a battery on their own, free up space in their homes to do that, manage installation and maintenance and ongoing costs. They could just pay a subscription for a storage product. And that way it benefits the whole network and the whole community as opposed to a single household. And so over the last uh, two years, we've now installed 13 community batteries, and that is in partnership with Synergy, that's our local retailer. And it's through them that the residents are onboarded for the product or the storage product. Mm, fabulous. It's a great idea. Yeah, I think it's the first of its kind in Australia, as far as I know, but I know over East, they are also beginning those trials themselves. I think over here in the West, it's a bit different because we have different rules that apply because obviously we are the most isolated, one of the most isolated groups in the world. So we mm. play by different rules. Yes. Um, so the East is catching up, I believe. So very interesting times ahead. Where do you see utilities heading in the future? Uh, do you, what opportunities do you see awaiting the industry? I think to make the best use of physical space and land and also our resources, um, I think utilities are going to be working much closer together so that projects are more efficient and you make the best use of resources. Digitization is going to make and make a big change and have a big impact, not only on utilities, but I think the way they interact with each other. As an example, like, on certain roads, you always see that they are always getting torn up and then they're putting a new cable in or they're getting torn up and they're putting like yes. new traffic lights in or they're getting torn up and then they're planting or there is lots of room for more or less siloed and to work more collaboratively. I, I think renewables as well will be a big thing with uh, utilities so being sustainable using more solar or renewables on their network um, and possibly depending on their cash flow investing in new new types of renewables like hydrogen definitely electricity and utilities are going to be collaborating and working together for the foreseeable future like it is or has already started Fantastic. And a question I always ask my guests is, was there an experience or a moment that inspired you to pursue a career in utilities? What prompted you to go down this path? Well, I think for me, it was twofold. I grew up in a little town called La Mercy in KwaZulu-Natal, that's in South Africa. And our house was next to a little, I would call it a mini substation. So it was a little a box made out of brick and inside was a little transformer and I always used to watch people come in and do maintenance on it and I could hear the humming at night so it was always interesting to me to understand or to figure out what was in that and how it brought electricity to our home mm-hmm. and in the background I've always heard stories about my dad he grew up on a farm in Stanger also in KwaZulu-Natal, and he'd tell these stories about how he'd not want to waste candles or oil. So he would take a walk down to the nearest street lamp, and that's how he would study at night. Wow. These kind of stories make you understand or appreciate 
what electricity means to people and how in some way, shape or form it makes people's lives better. I think now we've gone totally to the other side where we now think of it as a not a privilege, but a necessity. And we also take it for granted. So I think those are where the start, starting points of my interest. The other funny thing that I I chose most of my subjects in high school uh, solely based on my love for electronics and things computerized, but also my mom was a home economics teacher and basically she stood guard over like a whole section of the school. And I didn't want to be in any of her classes because, <laughs> I mean, why would I? So I chose to be in the other block. So most of that meant I was doing electronics, um, technical, technical drawing and computers. So all of those I think influences has brought me to where I am today. Yeah, I just love that. That curiosity that was sparked in you as a child stayed with you throughout into adulthood. And now you get that ability to work with organizations that bring what can be life-changing electricity to communities. Uh, So that's, that's fantastic. To have girls in, say, electrical engineering is quite rare, even now. So were you one of the few who was doing that at that time? Yes, so we did have a few females in our computer class, uh, but in the electronics class, we only had two. Uh, I was one of two. And then as I went into further studies, I was usually the only female, unfortunately. But I think growing up, being the eldest and wanting to set a good example and being studious by nature, it held me in good stead to persevere. I have noticed over the last uh, 20 odd years in my career, I've had many opportunities to sit on BASA committees or to interview people uh, when I've been team leader. And it's always a bit disheartening to see that the number of females in the classroom hasn't increased as much. There's lots of people that get qualifications, but to stick with it and try to manage home life with a successful career is very challenging. And if you could briefly describe your career path so that uh, we can understand how you got to where you are today. Being an engineer was something that I felt was a great privilege and I would be the first in my family to be an engineer if I went down that path. I think the next step was to get a bursary to help me study. I think Previously, women didn't get an opportunity. But what I've seen over my career has been that when you give females um, an opportunity like that, they change families, they change society. Like in my instance, um, and of the many other female colleagues that I had when they started down this engineering uh, path or had bursaries awarded to them. I think that has been such a powerful thing to see and appreciate. So a bursary was extremely instrumental in giving me these opportunities and changing my life, basically, and that of uh, my family. Yeah, wow. So I started my career in Eskom, the biggest utility in South Africa. I have done things in metering, calibration, asset maintenance, Uh, protection investigations and for the time before I joined or or came across to Australia I was doing fault investigations for national control on a national level and that for me was a pinnacle of 
you know, that when I started my career, that's where I thought the most brilliant people were. So I always looked up to the people that were in those kind of roles and in those kind of positions because national control meant like the control of the whole of Eskom and the network. And so I was extremely privileged to work with people that I truly, truly respected um, in those teams. And then I came, Hubby and I decided we'd come across Australia and that's where I started my career as a substation design in South Australia. I had the opportunities to um, upgrade trans, um, upgrade substations, build a whole new substation, engage with people that that substation would be in the vicinity of. Yeah, and then um, from my career down in South Australia, I moved across to Perth as part of the mining boom with my husband. Over the last couple of years, I've been heavily involved in batteries and knowing, you know, firstly setting up a panel to of, of vendors that Western Power would use and then figuring out how we would install them, um, how we'd work with them, how the network would use them to uh, benefit not only the, the network but the customers and the residents in that specific network. So it seems like I've come full circle but also still understanding that there's a customer behind whatever I'm doing. Have there been any challenges that you've faced in getting to where you are because the industry is so heavily male-dominated? Well, I think that you carry more of the emotional baggage. So planning a team day or taking minutes or asking to get the coffee order or being talked over at a team meeting, uh, there are these things that would occur whether it's pointedly because you're female or not it feels like that in that moment there's no magic wand that I have to make these disappear and even in my own career I've definitely felt or made it feel insignificant but I think you have to understand what what is your job what is your purpose and to try and remove some of that emotion from it it's it, it's easy for me to say that now when I was younger it would have been extremely hard for me to speak up in a meeting or to take initiative or to call out when I was being spoken over so it does take a bit of uh, a bit of thick skin especially in the early days and so I would say build a repertoire of things to make yourself not stand up, but, you know, I'd like to say something or thank you for that, but my two cents is. So it's a mixture of people understanding that, you know, you need support and that you need encouragement. And then the other other part is yourself, you know, asking for that help or asking for that extra support in meetings or in team scenarios and then have open and honest conversations if you feel you're being spoken over, have a one-on-one with that person. Because sometimes it's just people are unaware. Sometimes we take it personally and we build so much of our thoughts and you know preconceived notions about what that is and what they said and how they said it and they're told. But sometimes we just have to go have a conversation of this is when you said this, it makes me feel. 
one of the things I've learned or taken away from Brittany Brown, she says, the story I tell myself, when we have an interaction, you can go back and say, you know, when you did this, or when you said that story I tell myself is that what you perceive is not necessarily reality. And that's why you have to have that conversation and say, when you say these things, I feel like I'm being spoken over or I, I'm not, I don't feel I'm included. And that begins the unpeeling of that relationship. And I think even though as much as we say work is work, you still work, you still see these people for most of our waking hours. And so having open, honest discussions and actual relationships with them will make that day so much more meaningful. Wow. That's great. That's really great because I think that is, for me personally, something that I find very difficult because I, I, I don't like conflict and the idea of me sharing how I'm feeling automatically makes me think that it will go into some sort of some sort of conversation where I may have to defend and I just avoid that situation together by not sharing how it makes me feel. That's why I think that it's such a smart way to do the story I tell myself or it's, it's sharing what you're feeling or how you see yourself in that scenario and they might be they might have just casually said something out loud they didn't for it to be to infer that whatever you're saying was unimportant or that they didn't respect you and sometimes it's just the way we talk to to ourselves it's two ways between your team lead your your colleagues and yourself it's not you in isolation whatever you're thinking is just in your own head and you can't have conversations and you can't move forward with any relationship if you just have it in your head, I think. Mm. And so what's made you stick to it? What do you find exciting about it? Uh, I think it's, like I said, it's just this inherent wanting to go, to do something for others. I always think about what is it that I'm ultimately doing and basically you are serving people, you are serving the community. And I think that's what keeps me going, that you feel that your work has meaning. Regardless of how big or small my projects are, I feel like I am contributing and you are helping society. So I think, you know, especially in utilities, people have an expectation that it's always going to be there. And that is what your job entails. Even if it's taken for granted, people are grateful that they have it in their lives. And I think that's what is the cornerstone of my perseverance and sometimes stubbornness. We'll return to the conversation in just a moment. But if you're enjoying this podcast, there's a few simple things you can do to show your support. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. Like this show or leave a comment letting me know your thoughts. And if you have any suggestions for topics or guests you'd like to hear from, please get in touch. My contact details are in the show notes. Thanks. And now back to the conversation. And who has helped you to get to where you are? Have you had um, role models or mentors um, who've helped you? I've had a number of mentors. I would recommend that people go out and find as many mentors as they like to or would want to. I think that there's a fallacy that you need to have one or two. Um, I've had mentors that I could have an open and honest conversations with and they would give me brutal, honest feedback, and that's good. I would have mentors that would go out and introduce me to people 
and push me out of my comfort zone, put me in awkward situations so that I could learn that I would not die. There's been so many people along my journey, whether they've been technical or non-technical. A person is not a full package. They may not be perfect, but they have a certain skill set that you admire or appreciate. Like somebody could be a really good speaker or somebody could be really good at presentations or there's so many skill sets that you can see in somebody else. And you do watch what people do, you watch what people say and how they behave and how they tackle work. And you choose the best way that suits your style and your characteristics. Um, and, you know, it's like picking the best of the best. For me, a mentor is somebody that helps you get to or understand how you can get that same uh, skill set. Uh, so a mixture of a mentor and a coach. Aside from what you've already mentioned, is there any other advice you have for women who are looking to make a career in utilities? The biggest thing that I found when I in my early days when I started was I thought I had to find a job and then sink my roots in as deep as I could and then hold on for dear life. And the thing is, the more you get pushed out of that comfort zone to to go for a different job or to learn a new skill or to move to a new team or in my case move to a different continent and then move to a different state all of those were growth opportunities don't have a preconceived idea of what you think you need to be to apply for a specific job or that there's an ideal candidate for a specific job because if you're willing to do the hard work um, and to commit yourself, there is no way that you're not going to be successful. I think the very first barrier is you yourself and your thought process. If you are not the best for the job, others will tell you. You don't have to tell yourself, hey, I'm not good enough for this job. I'm not even put your hat in the ring. Go for it. Do your best. If it comes back that it wasn't for you, then that's a life lesson. Ask for feedback. What what went wrong? Do you need interview skills? Do you need to brush up your CV? Do you need uh, a specific qualification? How can you do better next time? So feedback is so important because that's part of your learning journey. You have to go out there and challenge yourself and challenge your mindset and challenge your self-belief in what you can and can't do. Make your network as big as possible. Engineers will most probably stick with engineers. But we have so much to learn by going out and meeting people with a finance background or in commercial or logistics because a project doesn't happen just in isolation with one specific skill set. There's so much to learn from project management to contract management to how you actually procure a piece of plant and write a tech spec. So I think in utilities, it gives you such a broad a range of opportunities to learn and move you out of your comfort zone. So I would definitely recommend people to get involved. There may be people that will tap you on the shoulders to say, hey, there's this post coming up or, you know, you'd be a good fit. But no one may know that that's something you aspire to. Do you know what I mean? Unless you've actually told somebody that's what you aspire to. I would say to not be afraid. Just start. Uh, You've come so far. Start and then continue, uh, persevere, look for mentors, look for friends, look for building your support network. You are vulnerable, but then so is everybody else in the room. 
So be brave, put yourself out there, start, and then continue. And I say that to myself still, like scary some days to go out there and to raise your hand or to say something that's completely different to what everybody else is saying in the room. We can't stop ourselves from speaking or applying for a job or making an instruction. It starts with us and we shouldn't be the first hurdle. And even if they're hurdles external to us, they are easily sidestepped if you have a support box. Mm. Yeah, and I think as women, we sometimes have a tendency to do that where we, unless we meet 100% of the criteria, we hold ourselves back from applying. That's really great advice about sometimes the biggest obstacle is yourself and you have to overcome that, your thought processes. And so is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners? Seek to find ways to give back. It's not only that you need to ask and um, others to help. You can also give help to others, whether it's somebody that's doing a rotation in your team or a graduate. Those are opportunities for you to teach and encourage and to share your learning. So there's always going to be opportunities for you to go and ask for help, but then also look for opportunities where you can be of help to others. The biggest lesson for me is to put myself out there, which is something I have never, I never freely did and I'm not 100% great at it yet. That is my biggest life lesson that I'm trying to put into practice. You know, it's not you against the world. You are of this world and, you know, people will resonate with you and people who don't weren't for you in the first place. An amazing career awaits regardless of where you're starting and what you're doing because I think any career is a journey to ourselves and finding our best selves, um, finding and exploring and confirming the gifts and abilities and strengths that we have and uncovering them as we continue on our journeys. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. I think um, it's, it's actually amazing what people will give if you ask. And I really loved your advice, Sarah, about your career being a a personal journey that you're on to uncover your abilities and your gifts. And that it's, it's not a journey that you have to do alone, that you bring people with you on that journey to help you and that you can then help in their own journey. I, I absolutely love that. Well, that's a great way to end this recording, Ravana. So thank you so much. I I really appreciated you uh, being on the show today. It was wonderful to have you. Thank you very much. Uh, It was a pleasure to be with you. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Women in Utilities podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, please take a moment to do so or leave me a comment letting me know your thoughts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Do you have a favorite book? The name of the book is A Thousand Splendid Sons by Khaled Husseini. It's about a girl growing up in a third world country and experiencing life in such a raw and emotional way that the way the author writes it, it just stays with you for so long. He also wrote Kite Runner, um, but In my opinion, it paled into comparison to uh, Thousand Splendid Sons. Any special talents? 
left, I was always fiddling around with broken radios. And I remember to get a radio station, you tune the capacitors and the resistors to, to get to a certain frequency so that you could pick it up. And my special talent was changing it to an English station to the utter dismay and disgust <laughs> of my parents. And I annoyed them, I think, a lot because the little knob had broken. So you'd need a little screwdriver and you'd have to go in there and change it quickly. Favorite drink? I love gin and tonic. I love lychee. So I've been experimenting with a few cordials with that. I think that's going to be my drink for the whole of the summer. That is what's going to be happening at our house.